Are you ready to take your leadership skills to the next level? Do you want to lead with confidence, inspire your team, and achieve your career goals? I'm excited to announce Lead Intuit is now offering leadership coaching. Picture this, 60 minutes of focused one-on-one coaching that will transform the way you lead. Whether you're a seasoned executive or just starting out on your leadership journey, Lead Intuit has the expertise and guidance to help unleash everyone's full leadership potential. With one-on-one coaching with me, you'll develop powerful leadership strategies, enhance your communication skills, build a high-performing team, and achieve your career aspirations. The website, leadintoit.co, is your gateway for us to work together and create a tailored coaching plan to fit your needs and goals. So don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to supercharge your leadership skills. Visit leadintoit.co, that's leadintoit.co, today. You're listening to episode 35 of the Lead Into a Podcast. I'm Sarah Greco, and I have over 10 years of experience in various roles and industries. During this time, I learned just how crucial leadership is as both an employee and a leader myself. This has led me on a mission to inspire and provide resources for those who have a desire to be a leader in both their career and their lives. The Lead Into a Podcast is designed to help you learn how to be a leader with advice, tools, tips, and inspiration from people with all different types of backgrounds. Let's get started. I'm so excited to have Marissa Santoro on the show again, and this time we talk about her new book, Own Your Authority, Follow Your Instincts, Radiate Confidence, and Communicate as a Leader People Trust, which just came out last week. So during our conversation, we talk about what it means to own your authority, how to trust your gut, and have self-leadership. A little bit about Marissa, she is a former IT executive on Wall Street who has over 21 years of experience in corporate roles and leadership. She is also the creator of the Gutsy Leadership System and the founder of In Our Shoes, which is a professional development training and collaboration platform consisting of self-paced online courses and live training delivered through the Gutsy Leadership Academy. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. You are my very first return guest, and I'm excited to talk to you about your new book and all the things in the past year. How are you doing today? Oh, hi, Sarah. I am doing great, and I'm so excited to be back in here on your podcast. The first one was, um, I got so much feedback from from the community, Interstice community, and um, you know, you're, so, you're so authentically genuine that it's easy. It's easy to be a guest here. Thanks. I appreciate it. It was so great talking with you the last time too. I learned so much. So it's been a year and we were just talking about this, but like the last time we talked, we were like, oh yeah, by the fall, like everything will be normal. There'll be no pandemic. And it's, I think it's literally been a year since we've talked last and right. It's been just a crazy whirlwind of a year. Yeah, it really does. It seems like a really long time. And, um, who knows when things are going to go back to normal. But yeah, that full deadline was not really realistic, was it? (laughs) I know. Like everyone, I remember leaving the office and they were like, oh, two weeks. And then like, oh, a couple months. Oh, maybe after the holidays. And now it's just like, forget it. We're just going (laughs) to go with it. And if we're back to normal, my, my goal is like, this fall. Like if we're not back to normal by this fall, then I'll just be really sad. <laughs> like, 
Yeah. And you know what? What is normal anyway, right? It's the new normal, as they say, but I feel like I'm still defining the new new normal. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be interesting what that looks like. It definitely mm-hmm. won't look like what it was pre-pandemic, but mm-hmm. yeah, really, um, it will get there. So you, it sounds like you've been pretty busy this past year. Yes. Yes, I have. Uh, you know, after we spoke, uh, I was wrapping up the book, um, and just, uh, you know, sitting for lots of different interviews and working with people uh, interested with the, uh, interested in my work. So it's, it's been a really a wonderful journey, mm-hmm. you know, all good. Uh, also comes with, you know, a, some level of um, stress, I think, with all, you know, with growth. <laughs> but yeah, but very grateful. Definitely. So what would you say were some of the like major obstacles that you've encountered over the past year? Uh, specifically with the book or just in, in general over the, let, let's start with in general, and then we'll talk about the obstacles with the book as we dive deeper into it. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the biggest obstacles for me, uh, and my family is that I really didn't have an end of my day. Um, you know, coming down to make the kids lunches and breakfast and then going back and, you know, in between, you know, coaching clients or doing training sessions virtually, and then taking notes and wrapping up your day that you would normally do, like just administrative things. I, you know, frequently, I would say more often than not, it would be, you know, that 5 p.m. stop time just never existed. That, you know, I would, I would often, you know, run down to do dinner and then be back up at the computer at 8, 9 o'clock at night. And so I had to get really fierce around my time, uh, <laughs> recognizing you know, there, there have to be boundaries. I think that was one of the biggest, um, well, one of the obstacles I, I struggled with. Mm-hmm. I totally understand my last uh, apartment. I had no like enclosed office. So my computer uh-huh. and everything was set up on my dining room table. And it was in the center of my apartment. I could always see my workspace. And it was just one of those things where it's like, it's always there. I can always see it. It's literally, I pass it no matter what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, I forgot about that as well. I mean, I'm sitting right now talking to you in my dining room table, and this is actually a place I often work. So even like, yeah, even like there's no even borders between rooms in your house, right? Like what is the official office workspace? Yeah, that's a really great point. And then of course, conflicted with you know, once again, family, if someone was, you know, uh, in another room and you're doing your thing, right. Yes. Um, kind of have to see the deck. So yeah, that's, that's also another challenge, <laughs> I think. Okay. So let's dive into your book. It is called own your authority and I would love to hear more about it. And let's start with what inspired you to write this book specifically? Uh, you know, the one thing that really drove me, uh, if I had to pinpoint it, is the message around leadership and intuition. I just don't see it. Uh, it's never been talked about. Uh, maybe in you know passing, you know, how leaders should use their instincts. But, you know, I really lead with it. And I really want people to uh, embrace the fact that it's not just about what you do in your career. It's so much more. It's really following what's not seen, heard, tasted, felt, you know, it's following your gut. And so that was really, I kept that at the forefront and, and just really combining those, those two things together because it is a very real thing, our instincts. That's so true. And it, leadership sometimes, and I don't know if you felt this as you were entering into it, but it's like, you're supposed to create this persona, this leadership persona where it just is like, you're authoritative and commanding and you command presence in a room. 
And some of the best leaders I've encountered aren't that way. They are very authentic. They command a room, but in their own way. So with that being said, I would love for you to go into like, what is the major, you talked about intuition, but what is the major advice or line of advice that you have for the book itself when it comes to owning your authority? Uh, the major, well, uh, the book is split into five sections. Uh, so I guess you might say I have five uh, major steps, but if I had to <laughs> pick one, <laughs> you know, I'm very methodical about it, right? <laughs> I guess that's a normal author trait. Um, but I think the major thing I want people to walk away with in terms of owning their authority is uh, recognizing that it's, it's, in, it's inner leadership, it's self-leadership, and on many levels, it's also self-love. Uh, you know, I can't lead with the self-love message because that would sort of turn away, you know, a lot of, I think, I think that would be a mixed message. You know, it's, a, it's mm-hmm. a business education book. But in the end of the day, it really whittles down to self-leadership. If you can master, you know, your, your mind, uh, your emotions to some degree, although I do believe emotions is, is important to show at work. I cover that a lot in the book. You, can you show emotion at work? and still gain respect at the same time. And in your point, commanding that presence, yes, you can have executive presence, but you still have to be aware of, um, of you know, that, uh, that inner voice and, and how you want to show up. So I guess, yeah, if I had to whittle down all, all of the major points I make in the book of how to own your authority, they all, they all boil down to self-leadership, internal dialogue also, yeah. right? That's self-leadership. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Is there, um, a point in your career or before you started writing the book where you're like, this needs to be talked about? Because you even said that self-leadership and intuition isn't really talked about very much. But at what point in your career did you realize I need to talk about this because it's important? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think it one. I think when I discovered it was when I became a parent, uh, when I felt like I was juggling a lot of things uh, between work, family, home. And I realized that, uh, you know, there's a lot of resistance because it's so easy for you in a state of, you know, so much busyness going on in your life, just sort of just, you know, rot, go with the flow and, and, and let others lead. So you mm-hmm. could take a backseat and enjoy a more balanced life. And, you know, I realized that that was a, that was a big trade-off. If I was going to go in that direction, it's like losing your authority. It's kind of like handing someone else your authority. And so I think that was, um, yeah, that was probably the moment that I realized uh, as, as, a, as, a, as a woman, you know, I won't say that you know, men, of, of course, now more than ever are, are taking primary roles in terms of parenting. But at the time for me, I realized that I, I could have very easily lost my voice and, 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 and lost a lot of time that I built uh, for a reputation where, um, you know what, if I don't, if I don't sort of speak up and, and really rec- and really point out that there are things that you can do to step outside your comfort zone in spite of the real uh, uh, knee-jerk reaction of, of, of just, you know, following versus leading at times when you're at your lowest or, uh, you know, chaos happens at work, acquisitions, you know, things that just happen in the workplace that could easily throw you off, mm-hmm. off uh, of your normal day-to-day. So I think, I think that was probably when, um, you know, I realized it because I realized I wasn't being authentic with myself once I became a parent. And ironically, that's when I started In Our Shoes, my career platform. That's exactly when I had my first child. I started In Our Shoes because I was like, you know, this isn't, 
people aren't talking about, you know, how we, how you feel suppressed and how you aren't following your God. And I think it all sort of stemmed from that one uh, event in my life. Mm -hmm. So why is it important to follow your instincts or your gut, especially as a leader? Because it's your truth. It's, Mm -hmm. it's your truth and it's your beliefs and, you know, thoughts are just, Beliefs are just thoughts that you think over and over again until they become truth in your mind. doesn't mean that, you know, they're anybody else's truth. And if you want to lead authentically in any area of your life, you know, I know that I'm, I'm, my book is based on career, but I, I fundamentally try to apply this in every area of my life. If I want to be a better parent or a better partner, uh, you know, I, you really have to be authentic about it and you really have to uh, trust yourself. And you, and you can't do that unless you rely on your own truth and what you believe to be the rest, the, 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 the best direction and guidance. Otherwise, you know, what other guidance would you have? You'd be following other people's beliefs and thoughts, and that's not leadership at all, although you can lead and follow and, be, you know, follow others. That's an effective leader. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I think our instincts really is our North Star. We have to have to stay grounded by that and, uh, and really be willing to step into taking some level of risk. And you can't do that without following your gut. Authentic leadership has become a coined phrase, I would say, especially in the past six months. Like I've heard it a lot recently. I had somebody who came on my uh, show that talked about authentic leadership for himself and how it was so important for him and self-awareness and stuff like that. For me personally, trusting my gut has been incredibly important in all of my career. And I've noticed that there's times when I'm like, well, I'm going to go follow my gut. There's a chance that this could go very, very, very wrong. But if I don't follow my gut, I know I'll regret it more. Right. The cost, right? What is the cost? And you just, yeah, that's such a good point because I think that people just think of the payoff uh, the payoff normally from what I've seen is safety mm-hmm. is, um, you know, and by safety, I mean, you know, uh, saving your job, you know, not taking a risk, uh, not being visible, you know, feeling like, okay, I'm, I'm safe, you know, under the radar. Um, but a lot of people, a lot of times we don't, we don't really think about the risk to staying silent or the risk to not following our gut. And I'm glad you talked, you covered that. Cause I, I, I have a section in the book called, all right, I'll just give it away a little bit. It's called your no action, <laughs> your no action actions. Okay. And it, it really just speaks to that point you just made. Like the, we don't think about the 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 cost to not taking action, and the, and by 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 action in this case is not not following your instincts. Mm-hmm. But be good to yourself because I think a lot of us, you know, we we have to. I I feel like if we don't fail and we don't have those those experiences, we you know we kind of shoot ourselves down and we won't move. So I, I, I'm, you know, I'm okay with the times when I don't follow my God and it just, you know, it's a lesson learned. You move on, which is important as a leader, right? <laughs> right. I will say the <laughs> most times I've like fallen on my face failed is actually the times when I really didn't listen to my instincts or my gut. It was, I was running so fast that mm-hmm. I was just like, I need to get it done. Let's go, let's go, let's go. But the times I actually sat down and talked and talk to my intuition or whatever it is, you call it, your gut. Um, those were the times I was very methodical about how I approached a situation. Because most times for me anyway, that was when I was like, do I need to fight back, quote unquote? Like, 
do I need to really express why I'm concerned about this or why maybe I would advise it in a different way? Uh, because I was a public affairs officer in the military. I had to advise commanders of high levels on certain situations. And there was times when they were like, absolutely not, Sarah, we're not doing that. And I'd have to say, but sir, but ma'am, I truly believe like if we went this way, went this direction, we could learn a lot. We could show our story. Those times were hard. And those were very much, I knew in my gut that that was the right way to go. And it was up to them whether or not they would follow it or uh, go in a different direction. But those are hard conversations. Yeah, you know, and uh, it almost feels like you read my book, Sarah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, cover, I cover pushback. I cover pushback, you know, and what you do in times of pushback. And I think that's where the doing versus being, it, it shows up. Like, you know, you really want to follow your gut and, and lead with what you know people need, not necessarily what they want to hear, but what they mm-hmm. need to hear. That, but then how do you do that? And that's where the doing comes in, you know, and, and in the book, I talk about the specific actions you can take to be prepared for those tough talks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just having that in your hip pocket so you can execute and communicate effectively. But at the same time, you're, you're leading with what you know is the best approach and you're not being ballsy about it or throwing it down anybody's throat. But simply standing your ground. And if at the end, you know, your commanders didn't follow your advice and they decided to agree to disagree, that's okay too. Mm -hmm. But there's power, there's authority in you voicing that opinion, sticking to your opinion, and making sure everyone heard that opinion for, you know, future reference. And regardless, right, that's still owning your authority. It's so funny you say that. I think people consider it a fail when people don't take your advice or what your input is. I actually just was talking with somebody yesterday and she's like, I just don't have influence. Like she took the strength finders and she was like, I have a lot of relationship building, but my influencing skills are very down low. And I was like, that's, I understand where you're coming from, but also when you relationship build, you also influence. And so by creating your authority in that presence, you influence in your own authentic way is what, and I was trying to describe that to her, but I hope, and I hope she took that away, but Mm -hmm. I felt bad that she was like, I just don't have any influence. And I'm like, no, 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 you do. I promise. It's just coming out in a different way. Yeah. You know, that's, that's so true. I mean, people don't really couple those two together, but if you have really meaningful relationships uh, at work <clears throat> and even outside of work, you know, I, you, not that you have to be turned on all the time, but you can be, you know, at a soccer game and you meet somebody and you're, you know, leading with what I call your elevator pitch, right? We talked mm-hmm. about that a lot. Um, you know, regardless, it's, uh, it's really important that the relationships we make, we leverage. And I think I just heard you say that word, mm-hmm. right? You have to leverage them. And that's where the influence comes because, just because you have a lot of relationships doesn't mean you're actually using them effectively. And by using, I mean that authentically, not using people, but leveraging those relationships. Because at the end of the day, if it's a real relationship and people know and trust you, then if you're asking them for support or a referral or a question or to keep you in mind, you're only doing that because of that established relationship. And so if they come through for you on that request, then in some respects you, and you actually gain from that, then in some respects that is a level of influence where you've leveraged a relationship, you've gained something out of it, you've reciprocated, I'm sure, if you have authentic relationships. Mm -hmm. 
And it's just this beautiful, you know, matrix of, of uh, people that are now your, you know, what I like to call, I, I refer to this as your raving fans. <laughs> and raving fans are influence. So I, I really love that you, uh, you, you couple those two together. I think more people need to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so, it's so good. Um, so going back to like your process for your book, was there a point in the book that you found very difficult to write? And if so, what was it and why was it difficult to write? Um, I wouldn't say there was a point in the book, but there was uh, a common obstacle throughout the book uh, during the first draft, the very first draft. Mm -hmm. I would say the reason is, and what the obstacle was is, you know, you have so much information and we have so much information in our head that, you know, when you're putting it down on paper, I I think for me, at least, I made a lot of assumptions in that first draft that people know my, uh, you know, my intention and the story behind the story of what I was trying to share. And so I think when you're writing, you really have to get down to like the basics and like step one, two, and three. So initially I did a brain dump, which is really what they say good authors should do. I I was, I was coached on that when I started writing, Mm -hmm. you know, don't worry about editing yourself, just put it all down. And so I did that right. But what I struggled with is that once it was all down, you know, I think the order of things and just recognizing that there is a sequence to any book, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, there's a sequence and they have to follow a structure and this comes before that. And so there was just so much content that I pulled from the newsletter, from my curriculum, from my mm-hmm. talks, from clients and feedback that I think once you, it's like a resume, right? Once you get it all down, now you got to reorder and shuffle it. And so throughout to the very end, as I was doing edits, that was really uh, that was really a challenge. Uh, I don't know how I would have even address it if I had to do it again. I think that I think that's part of the journey. Mm-hmm. I think you really have to go through that like that journey to say, okay, how should all this be structured? It doesn't just pop out of the box, right? You have mm-hmm. to make it um, cohesive. And so I couldn't like exactly follow my curriculum, and I couldn't exactly follow um, my talks. I, I really had to put it into a product that was cohesive enough so that someone who never heard of me or never heard of the work that I do with leadership and intuition would, would follow along. Mm -hmm. And so that, um, I think it was a great learning experience. And I honestly think if I had to do another book right now, I'd probably go through it all over again. I don't know. I haven't talked to enough authors to be honest with you, but Mm -hmm. I know I did it right the first time and getting it all down on paper. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine the amount of time, effort, organization, brain, uh, brainstorming that it takes to write a full up book on leadership and how to make it easily digestible for the audience that you're trying to reach as well to make sure that it's understood and they can apply it. Yeah. And you, 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 you touched on a good point. The audience, uh, you know, my audience is very varied. I work with a lot of mid-career leaders. I work with a lot of executives. Um, I have worked, as, not as much, but I have worked with, um, you know, just out of college, more on the future emerging leaders, high potential leaders, you know, in the mid-20s, I would say. Um, and so when I wrote this, and even sales leaders, small business owners, uh, when I wrote this, you know, you kind of you know, you kind of want to uh, make sure you kind of hit the beats for everybody. Mm-hmm. So that was another round of, um, you know, I give a lot, a lot of examples in the book to sort of bring everybody, everyone's challenges in so that it really rounds out. 
but it really is a leadership for a leadership book for for all of those uh, positions. Uh, but but really nailing that down, I think, is important when you're sticking to a specific topic. Um, on some levels, my kids, although they wouldn't understand my book, they're, they're pretty young. They have taken away some of the major principles from the book, like teaching 100% responsibility. I you know I kind of weave that into the book, but you know I I've dumbed it down so that they understand it here at home and how to. I, I think anyone could really really take away the audience is key. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So you talked about some of the stories that you have in the book. What's your favorite story that you shared in the book? And would you mind sharing it here? Oh, that's a good question. Um, my favorite story. Huh, okay, well, I'm going to say probably the most personal story I okay. put in was with my my parents. Uh, I was raised in an immigrant Italian immigrant family. And many respects, I feel like although I was born in America, I kind of was in a very yeah, immigrant household. And so I, I had a lot of American friends, but there were a lot of differences. And so I talk about um, a story, a quick story in the book about when my father first came to this country and um, met my mom. And, uh, you know, they I learned by observing them how they would give the shirt off their backs for people, you know, to help them in any way they could. But at the same time, they, they never were afraid to ask for help either. You know, we weren't raised in a wealthy family. So, you know, if they needed, you know, advice or support, they freely asked it. They didn't feel bad about it. And so, and then in return, they also got, you know, in, in reciprocity, they received as well. And I think that that holds a lot of people, uh, holds a lot of us back in business. I think that we're afraid to ask. Mm-hmm. I think that we don't feel qualified to ask. And so I, I really, really threw that story in. It was, it was a very personal one for me because I didn't want it to seem like I was putting down immigrants. I basically said, you know, you have to think like an immigrant. That's, that's what I wrote in the book. Mm-hmm. And um, that's such a controversial subject, but I am a product of an immigrant family and I felt, you know, authentic writing it. But at the same time, it was a very personal thing for me because um, I guess in a way I feel like um, maybe I know what it's like to be in those shoes if, as an immigrant. Not that I was one, but um, so that was a bit vulnerable for me to share. But I, 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 the point around that was really to be um, fearless around asking and to know if you're a good person and you're sharing your, your value with others you know, consistently, then people don't mind helping. And if you receive the word no, that's okay too. Immigrants move on and they knock on other doors until mm-hmm. they get the yes. And so that's, that's why I focused on that story. Mm-hmm. So thank you for asking. That. Yeah, no, that sounds like a great story. And I don't know if you knew this, but I'm Italian too, but like only part, like 25%. Oh <laughs> so that's, we have a definitely oh, have a connection, but it's cool that you, your parents came from Italy and <laughs> you have that background and I'm sure they're also amazing cooks. Oh yeah. That's another <laughs> story. <laughs> a lot uh, of fights on Sundays and sauce was better. <laughs> love Sunday dinners. Oh my gosh. My friends, uh, grandparents seriously made the best Italian food and they always had dinners on Sundays and it was the best food. So it's such a community. Um, and I agree with you about the um, asking for help uh, and offering help. Like, as it's funny because I'm actually I have a, another interview coming up, and we're talking about this too, where it's uh, how how difficult it is to ask for help because you think that it's going to be perceived as you don't know what you're doing. And right, it's hard to overcome that and be like. Well, actually, I don't know everything, even though I want it to seem as 
like as though I do. And it's hard to humble yourself enough to just say, okay, actually I do need help guide me in the way that I can improve on this and build myself upon whatever you're going to teach me and help me out with. That's so true. And when you think about teams, Sarah, right? Um, Do you want your team to not be open and honest enough to say, hey, I need help, right? Mm -hmm. So as a leader, um, I do touch on this. Um, You know, you have to be mindful of managing the perception as well. Like you don't have to have everything figured out. And there's a way to ask while still maintaining, I guess, your level of, um, you know, how you, you your reputation, but uh, your team as well. If they see someone, you know, they're working for someone who refuses to admit their mistakes or refuses to be vulnerable yes. or refuses to see some emotions, then what are you saying to your team? You're saying, you know, we're a rock solid ironclad ship and we take no prisoners. <laughs> you know what I'm yep. saying? So um, it's, it's a really important lesson that you highlighted there, um, managing the perception. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, and setting the example too. So uh, yeah. I will say this is what I've always appreciated about how the military runs is I was literally trained to become an officer. So I was trained in leadership. My leadership skills came first. My technical skills came second. So in the corporate world, it's the opposite. You usually work your way up, your technical skills get built, and then you're either put into a leadership role or you just continue advancing in your technical skills. For leadership, you're, as an officer, you're not expected to know everything. So you lean upon those that have the technical skills in whatever field that is to really advise you in what direction you're going. And so you kind of pull all of that information together that you give. And then as an officer and a leader, you make the decision. So it's easily built into the the learning path as a military officer. Like mm-hmm. you might not know, but you have people who know and you can depend on them. But as a leader, you're dependent upon to make the decision. Mm. Yes. And you're not. And let me ask you, in that, in that example, did you necessarily know all of the expert knowledge of those giving you? No. No, right? Absolutely not. Yeah. And yeah. And so I think that that I saw time and time again, where leaders would be questioned, well, what makes you qualified to make that decision when, you know, your, your own people are better experienced and on the ground, right? And so just because, you know, I've worked with so many people that, you know, they, they, they manage, you know, people that are older than them or expert at whatever it is, architects, and they know nothing about the details of architecture. That doesn't mean you can't lead effectively. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's really where instinct comes into play even more because you really have to follow your gut based on the information your people are telling you, your team, trusting your team. I, I like that you word, use the word dependent because we're also dependent on on our team, right? And not knowing all the answers. So really important. So that you bring up a really good point. I will say, because one of the obstacles that I encountered very often was, did I have authority? Like, because not only did I look young, I was usually a pretty young officer who had a team that were either the same age or older than me. And I would have to go into a room and be like, provide feedback on what situation we have right now where would you go and then gather all of that? And then I would make a decision. But there were times when I was questioned on the decision that I was making or how I was approaching it. What advice would you give to somebody who's possibly or 
most likely encountering that right now as a leader, because as a leader, you're questioned so much on the decisions that you make. So how do you continue mm. to own your authority in those decisions? Well, I think in that, in that situation, and I think that's a common uh, scenario. I think that you, you have to show up in that situation with some hard facts that you can base your decisions on because you can't just, although I talk about following your gut, you can't just say, well, you know, I'm really leaning in this direction just because I feel right about it. That's just not going to hold enough water. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a really fine balance between coming in and showing the facts and why you're basing your decisions so that people can really wrap their head, head around it. But in addition, I think that there are patterns that you have seen in the past where you have seen some measure of success. And so you sort of rely on those patterns. Uh, maybe it's not the exact situation, but it's very similar where you've been burned or you've found that you've lost time. And so you also have to, you, you can bring in those experiences and say, look, this is what I've experienced in the past or, uh, you know, leaning on, you know, certain success patterns that you've had and failed, failed patterns. So I think between the facts, um, you know, even metrics, uh, past success stories, and at the end of the day, your gut is really what you lean on and packaging that. And that, that's really, um, it's really selling it, right? Selling your ideas and standing behind them. But it is a fine balance and it's very subjective to the situation. But, uh, you know, I think that also is a, is a thing that many leaders, uh, young, new leaders shy away from because they... They, they're concerned about whether their opinions and recommendations are good enough and, and if they're even qualified to, to state them. Mm -hmm. That's a really great question. I'm really, I think, I hope, I hope this even, this supports a lot of the younger, younger people who are, who are sort of wanting to, to spread their wings more into leadership or are a little afraid, afraid about it mm -hmm. because they don't have as much experience. How would you say to help people who want to become a leader or maybe are newer in the leadership role build that experience or maybe like hone their intuition because you talked a lot about like those failed experiences or those really good experiences when you're newer it's hard to lean upon those experiences because you don't really have too much so how would they continue to grow those skills as well as hone their intuition to become the leader that they want to in their own authentic way you know, the best recommendation I'd have for them is to really consistently step into risk, taking small risks in their career. And by small risks, you know, it could be piping up in a meeting and disagreeing with the consensus in the room. It might seem like a small, subtle, you know, action step. But really, if you're standing your ground, you're obviously, you know, saying something against the grain and following your gut in that instance, right? Because you feel right. Mm -hmm. uh, I also think that... Um, Taking risks can also be, you know, uh, uh, could be when you're, you know, making yourself more visible, maybe speaking on a panel or speaking up um, when most people would assume that you're quiet and you're the observer because you're a young, you know, professional or maybe not even young, someone who's not even gone into leadership. Uh, so speaking up, you know, following your gut and recognizing that you do have something to share and, and you have value. Um, you know, so risks is really is really you know, in any way, and the way you know when those risks shows up, and this is totally tied to instinct, is when you feel uncomfortable, when mm -hmm. you really feel like, you know, you are um, not sure if this is a territory you want to lean towards, but you're going to do it anyway, and you act in spite of. So I think the risks are really, really important. That's true. Okay, so I am looking through the contents of your book. 
uh, or at least the table of contents, because I just want to see what else is so interesting and we could possibly touch on. The one thing that sticks out to me is actually the first one, which is self-promote with ease and authenticity. So I'd love for you to like give us a super cliff notes version. And if there's younger people on here, if you don't know what cliff notes are, it's a summary. (laughs) So uh, like just what would be the most important thing for somebody to take away from the self-promote with ease and authenticity? Uh, The simplest way I can describe that chapter is being really clear on your purpose, being really clear on what what you enjoy doing, your talents, things that come natural, and being really clear on your values, the things that you just want to do, the things that you want to get more involved in, Um, you know, purpose, passion, skills. Uh, If you can really find a step into roles that that align with your values that you feel passionate about and that's still, you know, doing the things that you enjoy doing, then you will have no problem self-promoting yourself and being authentic. That entire chapter is about personal branding. Mm -hmm. And um, I really do feel like the combination of those things is really how you sort of establish your platform and then could feel comfortable talking about it because it's so, it's so genuine. It's so you, it's, it's your why. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I love that. One of the leaders that I was working with at the company I was at a couple years ago, I did like a quick one-on-one with her. She was a senior manager at the time and she was going through a manager in training course. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. What's one thing that they taught you that you really wish you would have learned earlier on? She's like making my brand and kind of creating who I am and what I'm like stand for. She's like, I had no idea how important that was. And had I known that at early on in my career, I could have done so much with it. Now on the flip Um, side, I think it's hard because I think your brand evolves over your career because what you're passionate about changes. Like before I was very passionate about communications. Now I've kind of transitioned into leadership and management and team building. So it's important, but also ever evolving. Absolutely. That's right. And that's growth. Um, in yeah. fact, if you, if you don't feel that sense of growth, then you won't look for more leadership. Uh, you know, you don't really seek more leadership just for the sake of seeking more leadership, although hopefully it comes with more compensation and a bigger title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, aside from those things, I think what, you know, you just described as growth and, you know, we are constantly evolving and our needs and desires change. Um, and so following that, even there, following your instincts, like when you decide, when you realize, you know, I, this is where I was in communication. Now I'm, I'm exploring more management and leadership. You know, that's following your gut right there. You're just, no one, no one sent you a memo on that. You just felt it, you followed it, and now you're, you're living it. Mm-hmm. So I think that speaks so much to instinct. And you see, even in that subtle example, you know, most of us wouldn't even say, oh, I'm following my gut. I'm going to move in this path. It's not like a, an obvious thing, but yet you just shift there. And then all of a sudden you grow and new opportunities happen. And so I think that's why nobody's really talking about these things because it's, um, it's so subtle and yet it accounts for so much. Mm-hmm. Well, or they don't realize it's them following their gut or their instincts. Like right. I, cause I would say some of it's failure. It's like, try and see if it works and we're trying it doesn't work. And it's just kind of how it flows, but it's all trial and error. 
you're like, well, this doesn't feel right. I need something else. And I think people see that as if that something else doesn't work, it's considered failure when actual in actuality, what you just learned is that didn't work. So, okay, next one, like moving on from there and that growth and evolving is actually like, it's the trial and error. It's the, um, taking risks. Like the more risks you take, the more aligned, I think you'll find where you're going. Right. It is a trial and error. And you you sort of have to see, I call that contrast. It's, you know, we have to have the contrast in order for us to get the clarity. Mm -hmm. But how do you get clear unless you receive some contrast and some, you know, lessons learned and failures fail forward. So, um, yeah. And in that instance, you are very much following your gut and you're creating your next, your next phase in in your life and your career by simply saying yes to what you feel compelled to do next. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Love that. Yeah. So when does your book officially come out on Amazon? So it officially drops on April 27th, uh, both Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Oh, awesome. And um, yeah, so just about a month away. It seems like, wow, it's almost like giving birth here. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) And so before we hopped on uh, the recording part, you had said that uh, it's unfortunate that you can't do any in-person uh, book signings or anything like that. Right. Yes, it is unfortunate, um, you know, given the situation. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, I'm doing a lot of events online. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of bonuses are coming with the book. Uh, you know, I have a podcast uh, walking through 101 strategies to own your authority, plus a report on those 101 ways. Um, and what else? We're doing a couple of book clubs, launch parties. Well, I'll go deeper into the book. So, you know, thank God for, for technology. We're going to try to make this as in person as we can. That's awesome. <laughs> it's it's amazing how adaptable everyone has become now. And I will say, just in my own personal experience, before I was recording on Zoom, like way before all of this, and now everyone knows how to use Zoom so easily. Like I don't have to explain anything. So with you going through all your stuff for the book, I'm sure everyone will be like, yeah, I, this is actually easier for me. I don't think I would have been able to join this book discussion had it not been virtual. So maybe it's all going to yeah. be easier and you'll reach a lot more people. Yeah, you know, that's true. And I, I don't even know, like, you know, if we didn't weren't forced to use this technology, if people would even as an option join a virtual group, like even if they had, you know, I think they would just default to an in-person signing or an in-person mm-hmm. meeting. So I, I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The dynamic, we have really changed in how we, um, and how we connect. Mm-hmm. So it might, I, I, I imagine, you know, it would be an even bigger a bigger, um, you know, participation rate in, 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 in many, in many uh, ways uh, across our meetings and, and definitely across uh, book launches. So, yeah, so I'm really excited. I'm very excited. That's awesome. And for those that are listening, where would be the best places to find you, follow you, all of the things? Yeah. So uh, the web, my website is probably on the website. It's inrshoes.com. That's I uh, and the letter rshoes.com. And there you can sign up for the newsletter and you'll definitely uh, get the, um, you know, the ability to, to join uh, the, the book launch. So if you're, once you're on the newsletter, we'll be sending out lots of updates uh, and bonuses and things like that, uh, free chapter and so yeah, that would definitely be. And and also on LinkedIn, if you uh, see me on LinkedIn, please reach out with a connection. Let me know you met me through Sarah and uh, her podcast. 
Uh, and then, of course, you know, uh, grab your copy on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, because I also have a lot of things in the back of the book, uh, opportunities for, for readers to join and, and go even further. That's awesome. And Marissa, I'm so excited to read the full book. I read the little summary and it's so informational and great inspiration too. So I will definitely download it on Amazon when it's fully available. And I highly recommend the audience do the same thing because it's just talking with you today and last year and following you on all the social media platforms. You have a lot to offer and a lot of great information that I definitely am aligned with. I think what you provide is great. So I know others will gain a lot out of it too. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that feedback, Sarah. Um, and you know, one thing I completely forgot to mention is this just uh, developed, a few, I think, a, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I found out um, Rahel uh, is also going to be publishing this as an audio book. Oh, nice. So um, yeah, that wasn't actually my expectation. And um hoping that a woman does narrate. (laughs) 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 We're hoping it will be a woman, you know, representing me. So I'm excited to hear who who he or she might be. Yeah. (laughs) So that's, exciting. And the audiobooks, have yeah. been, I, I personally, I mean, as a podcaster, I love everything audio, but uh, audiobooks are so easy for me to digest too, because I can go on walks and drives in the shower. It's like everything. So that's awesome. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. Yes. Yes. That's going to be a release in June, they say. Um, okay. But the book itself print and digital edition Kindle will be uh, April 27th. So definitely we'll bring you into the launch, Sarah, and um, and your audience. I'm so excited and I'm really, really excited to be back here. Your, you know, yours, yours is the second, uh, second podcast that I've been a return guest on. And it really does speak to how easy and natural these, these are, um, you know, podcasts are just becoming so, so popular. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a reason for that, you know, getting inside really, really uh, powerful conversations to support others. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. And fun fact about podcasts and how popular they've gotten on Apple podcasts today, they should be reaching over 2 million podcasts. So there's going to be, there should be by the end of today, over 2 million podcasts available to listen to, which is insane. Wow. And I knew Amazon launched their platform. So I'm wondering how fast they're going to catch up. But that, <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know you're on my team. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on, Marissa. Again, I'll put all of the information in the show notes. So uh, you all can head there to purchase the book. And thanks again, Marissa. Oh, thank you. All right. I'll talk to you soon, Sarah. Thanks for listening to another episode of Lead Into It. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you would leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help future listeners. If you want to learn more about the podcast or me, go to leadintoit.co. That's leadintoit.co. Thanks again.